once the world was full of wonders. But it belongs to humans now. We have all but disappeared. Demons, vampires, and witches hiding in plain sight. And we're live. Welcome back, witches. It is great to be back with our second to last episode before the end of season one of A Discovery of Witches. Welcome back to Pop Culture Theologians. We're so glad you're here. I'm John, and you can make sure that you're following the show at Pop Theologians and me at jerickson 85 on social media, uh, specifically the Twitters. And Marcy, my foul mouth sailor friend from Florida, where are you on the social media? First off, I'm originally from California. <laughs> I don't claim the state. I'm just stuck in it. Um, <laughs> but Live if there you, long enough. Live there long enough and you become a Florida woman. Uh, you guys can all find me on Twitter at I am the men who can. Oh my God. And are you going to change it? Okay, I'm still flirting with it. I might actually do a poll online and see what people think. I think the listeners want to know. So why don't you do a poll on the Pop Theologians Twitter page and like yeah. put out some ideas there and then we'll talk about it next week. Deal, let's do it. Let's do let's it. Let's do it. So Marcy, what weird shit happened in Florida this week? I mean, anywhere. <laughs> so I do have a Florida story for this week's weird news, but I'm going to leave Dark. that one. Uh, for, well, actually, no, let's do that one first, because it's short and sweet and adorable. And by adorable, I mean very Florida. So Florida woman claims that wind blew cocaine into her purse. Uh, authorities say a Florida woman, I know, right, is blaming a windy day for cocaine that police found in her purse. Uh, WPLG reported that Kenesha Posey, uh, was one of the two officers stopped by Fort Pierce police last, uh, in March, and police say that an officer smelled marijuana in her car, and that after searching her car, they actually found baggies of cocaine and marijuana inside her purse. And then Posey claimed that it was an extremely windy day, so obviously it flew through the window and into my purse. John, I want you to take a guess as to whether or not this worked. Um, I'm guessing not. Nope. Charged with a felony count of cocaine possession. Uh, we also do live in a country that like prioritizes like criminalization and jailing over anything. I'm not saying like she didn't do anything wrong, but I'm just trying to say like we do lock people up pretty quickly. Oh no, it's bullshit. I actually don't believe in, in criminalizing any type of drug penalties. Um, but I just love that it's such a Florida thing to be like, yeah, I, like it flew through my window. And it's like, I, I can just see it happening like down the street from me. So yeah, me too. Great story. Hashtag Florida woman. Second, I'm saving my best one for last because it is the cutest story. But the second one I have is apparently an Arizona town had to apologize to a 12 year old reporter for threatening to harass her. Uh, but this girl knew her rights. And I was like, get, get it girl. So 12-year-old crime reporter Hildy Kate Lysak uh, apparently knows her rights really well. She was pursuing a story in the small town of Patagonia, Arizona last week, and she was like standing firm and shooting a video of her town police chief, who was apparently acting up, and he said to her, if you put my face on the internet, it's against the law, I'll arrest you. Well, turns out that's not legal, <laughs> and Hildy knew this. 
So she sent the story to the national news media, which picked it up. This is a town population 920. And um, the police chief, Marshal Joseph Patterson, apparently uh, is in deep, in deep shit over threatening a 12-year-old. Um, so I just want to say that, like, it is kind of badass to have this 12-year-old young woman be like, I know my rights. I'm going to film you doing crazy shit. Uh, sorry, but no. Sorry, but not sorry. I was this person. Well, right? <laughs> like, like, I remember when, like, cops would try to say stuff to me in my little town of Wisconsin. I'd be like, actually, the Constitution true. says, uh, no. Um, like, try me. Like, heck no. And that's why I'm a proud, proud board member of the ACLU of Southern California. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so the final story is the goodbye to the little rover that could. So the Opportunity rover, uh, which we all know and love, landed in Mars in 2004. It was a $400 million project that was only supposed to last for 90 days. Opportunity, however, like honest to God, decided to keep on living his best life and lasted for 14 years, 55 times longer than anyone at NASA expected, and traveled 28 miles on Mars. Um, it survived a ton of sandstorms, but inevitably it kind of went a little bit inactive. And then it, uh, in its last days before it went inactive, it said something to the extent of it's getting dark, turning off. And it's like, all I can think of is like, for some Wally. reason, all I can th yes, like that's where I go. I'm like, oh my God, did he have like a roach friend? Did he like, it's just so sad. And I know it's, it's in, like, I know it's a robot. And uh, even though, John, you know that I have feelings about robot rights, but, uh, but yeah, no, super sad. So pour one out, everyone, for the Opportunity Rover for living its best fucking life. That's a return on investment too, by the Jesus, way. Jesus, right? I mean, <laughs> good Lord. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Uh, so okay. you ready to dive in? Yes. I really enjoyed this episode. I love this episode. And listeners, remember, all we have is the season finale next, next week. So this is our second to last episode. So Marcy, let's discuss episode seven. Yes. All right, we're back at Downton, right Marcy? Yes, we are. We are. So we're heading to a party in the USA. And Miley Cyrus would be proud, except we're not in California. <laughs> However, we are on our way to Madison, New York. And so um, what we all know is, is coming that Diana and Matthew are going to head to her aunt's house because she found out some stuff last episode. And she's like, uh, I need to figure out, girl. So um, basically, Matthew's brother, Baldwin, said he's going to stall the congregation while Diana and Matthew leave. Um, but he reminds him that this really isn't his battle, it's Matthew's. And Matthew's mother, of course, warns him because she's the mother-in-law that would. Um, but it's making sure that everyone has their ducks in a row because shit's about to hit the fan. So. Right. It's time to, of course, like in all good love stories, where you're the youngest tenured professor at Yale University <laughs> who happens to be a powerful ethic witch who falls in love with an ungodly attractive vampire who has lots of money, it's time to get on a private jet. 
or as Lala on Vanderpump Rules calls them, PJs. <laughs> PJs. So um, basically, they all grab, uh, get onto Matthew's family's private jet. I mean, I'm sure like with all the stocks that they've bought, they can probably afford it by now. So it's fine. But so they all get on the jet and they head to Madison, New York. And Madison is, first of all, in the fall, it's like the best Madison there is. I mean, this is the type of like countryside, New York like area you want to be in like in October, November, where you just Do you fall really in love with think it. it's better than Madison, Wisconsin? Madison, Wisconsin is one of the best cities in the country, and I will fight you on that one. Well, when I see you, we will fight. Okay, great. I, I love that. <laughs> um, so I, I love fall. I think it's an amazing season. Um, Madison is probably one of my favorites, but like Marcy, what about you? Favorite places in the fall? Actually, Claremont, California, where we went to grad school. The I So it had been a while since I had seen seasons when I moved out. And like, there was something about the trees all turning colors and looking up at the California mountains having snow on them. And like, it's just probably, and I love, I know this sounds super dorky, but like fall and school starting again is like the most exciting thing. It's like new notebooks, new agendas. Uh, yeah, She so got new notebooks, listeners. Like she had them like color coded too. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that with your therapist. Though. I am who I am. <laughs> I am who I am. But um, this episode really starts kicking right away. So you find out that like with all good witches, the house is alive. So it's got a really cool personality. And I love how it's just like a natural. I love the fact that the house is a character. It's very awesome. So um, the ants aren't there right away because they want to give Matthew and Diana a little time with the house because it um, misbehaves. And I just think that since the house is alive or it's haunted or whatever, you know, they're witches. Of course it's haunted, but it slams doors, flickers lights. I mean, it does everything and anything. And it like hides stuff too. And Diana tells a story about like a cat or something like that. And it's just a really lovable story. I'm like, oh, I'm going to love this episode. John, have you ever been in a haunted house or do you have any ghost stories? Oh, I have been in several. I have stayed on the Queen Mary in Long Beach and that place is haunted as hell. I stayed on the Queen Mary for my first wedding anniversary and I couldn't, there was nothing sexy about it because I was fucking terrified. Uh, I literally couldn't sleep. Like uh, Brent couldn't even touch me because I would like jump and I'm like, that place is terrifying. Yeah. Also, you live in Florida, so and I've been to Florida, so that place is as haunted as all hell. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's like eight Florida shades in like ten minutes. <laughs> However, um, uh, Tabitha the cat is there, and we all love a good cat. And so she says hi to Matthew. Um, of course, they're witches, so they have cats. Um, and we kind of are introduced to this amazing house, and all of a sudden, we we then jump back to Venice, and the congregation is gathered, and they are grilling Baldwin how could he lose her um you know it's a little interesting because we start to see all the other storylines start to come together so Agatha as we all remember from that B storyline is you know playing a little too close to home here she's a little too interested and Baldwin calls her out and so we start to unravel that storyline and then Baldwin lets them know that Satu as Diana. And Knox, of course, gives uncomfortable white man, like, you know, gesture in his chair because he knows what's going on and he tries to play it cool. Um, you know, Satu is with another witch. It is unclear if she's an ally and adversary to them. So they're making sure. Remember, people yeah. stay in their own lanes here. 
I thought this was a little strange because it was like, so Satu for sure has Diana. Knox is like, yeah, but like, we don't know if she went willingly or like, we just don't know. And it's like, wait, like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I thought like Satu had clearly transgressed. I guess what they're saying is like, Diana could have gone with Satu of her own free will, but like, I don't know. She didn't. She um, and also, as we all know from the last episode, how, uh, how do you say his name again, Marcy? Because I feel Javert. Javert is missing um, with Satu. And so he's not there. And Domenico is then tasked. I'm sorry, Marcy's boyfriend, Domenico, Thank is then you. tasked with finding them. So we kind of have two dueling scenes here that Baldwin said he's going to, you know, delay. And then we jump back to Madison, New York. To the aunts. And I am kind of jealous of Diana's whole home life. She has got her, tell me I'm not making an assumption here, her two lesbian aunts. No, they're lesbians. I thought so. I just just wanted to make sure. She's got her queer little aunts in this creepy little house out in the middle of nowhere, and I want to live her life. Um, So when they arrive, after giving them a little bow-chicka-wow-wow time in the haunted house, Diana unleashes her fury and, and rightfully so. Right. So like she, to Emily, I think, right. It's Emily and Sarah. Yep. So she directs her fury kind of immediately at Emily and Sarah looks very confused. And she's like, did you know what was wrong with me? Like, did you know? Right. Um, how could you keep that from me? How, like, what did you know? And Emily kind of admits that she guessed what was wrong with Diana, right? And for listeners, if you remember, Diana is, was spellbound. And I'm going to use past tense because obviously her powers are coming back. Um, and then Emily kind of shockingly says, you know, Rebecca and Steven, Diana's parents did it. And Diana just kind of wants to know why. Like, why would they do that to me? What's wrong with me? And in the last episode, you know, it was really clear, like, no one would spellbound anyone unless they were a, a danger to themselves or others, right? So, like, um, so to really Diane... the innocence of, like, her realizing that her parents, who she kind of glorified and, like, right. you know, really loved and misses because they were taken so, you know, when she was so young, um, she's kind of uncovering a truth about them. And, you know, it's really hard for her to grapple with that memory. I'm, I'm loving how she's playing this, you know, uh, revelation. Well, and I think for a lot of us, like, there are things in our lives that we find out as adults about our childhood that can be very traumatizing, right? But the reasons that our parents, like, shielded us from things was to protect us. But it can also lead to kind of, like, this, this like, having to hold two truths in, in your hands, right? Like, my parents did or hid something from me that was awful and hurtful, simultaneously protecting me because they love me, right? And so I think, like, while none of us have been spellbound that I know of, um, you know, like we can, we as the viewer identify with that heartbreaking moment of like, what the fuck, man? Like my parents did this, right? And like, um, and so Emily tells her like, look, the congregation would have tested you for power, right? But not as young as Knox wanted to test you. And so you were vulnerable to Knox. He was obsessed with whether or not Diana had inherited her mom's powers. This is a huge red flag to me that there's stuff we don't know about Diana's mom, right? Um, and so, you know, they kind of make, Sarah and Emily make these excuses for Diana's parents, you know, they only wanted to protect her, they loved her, and Diana responds back, I was half a person for years, like, they're, like, and again, going back to our own personal experiences where our parents, maybe the best way I can put this is, there's a lot of times where our parents have asked us to be smaller because they are afraid, 
right? And and yeah. like how much that harms you as a kid, right? When like, um, I'll, like I'll, like my example would be like I I feel like from a very early age I would just ask a lot of questions and like I was very conscious of injustice and my parents were always like shh, and I felt like I was wrong for being myself, right? And I would say that like kids in the closet will understand this inherently, right? That, like, exactly. Right to be asked to be made smaller because your parents are afraid of the bigger world. It can both be wrong and you can totally understand your parents being your parents, right? But for her to say I was half a person for years and they made that decision for me, not me. Like I thought, I don't, did you relate? Yeah, I think this is a really beautiful way in which we can juxtapose like different life experiences. I mean, although we all can identify with being a spellbound witch, I think those of us that have had to hide certain things about our identities felt that when she said I was half a person for years and it's either through the restrictions that family places on people um, purposefully or unpurposefully. Um, But I think overall what you really see is what not being able to come out in whatever sense of like the word that that means has on someone and what it plays for them. She was always half of a person. She was never able to fully understand or discover her true potential. And I think that's why you see this part of Diana that's been missing. And that's why when it shines through so much, you really see her fully alive. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I just loved it. And then uh, this kind of back and forth between them gets interrupted because the fucking house starts acting strange. It's like the doors start shaking, the wind starts coming and it's like, oh my God, what, what's happening? And like Emily says, Knox knows where we are. Like Knox knows you're here, right? Yeah, So the house is kind of like their protector. Right, right. Which we need that house. I, could you imagine you and I having a friendcation in that house? Yeah, we would see some shit though. We would see some shit. Because we are about to go to a flashback. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I have many favorite scenes in this whole first season. I think this is probably my favorite. Concur, I concur. You concur, you agree? I concur, I agree. This is my favorite scene. I concur with you. (laughs) I do concur, John. Hands do down, concur. this is my favorite scene. This um, so truly time. beautiful. So we really see what happens. So we under we really get the four one one. They're kind of like, here's the secrets. Like here's all the tea. Get ready, sit down. We're gonna show you. So we jump to a flashback, and we said, and we see Diana's parents up in her bedroom. Um, and Diana's sleeping. They're talking really loudly for like a little girl not to be awake, but like whatever, because she wakes up obviously. But Diana's parents um, are starting the process and the discussion of like, we need to spell, we need a spellbounder. Um, and so the ritual is really reminiscent of the nightmares that Diana's been having with the spider webs. And as we see as the spell progresses, webs are cast over Diana, like tying her down, binding her. So it's really symbolic in the way in which it's very spider-like and it's binding light. It's these bright lights that are just wrapping around their body and it's like trapping her magic. So we hear them tell her that she is a very special witch um, covered in invisible ribbons, uh, these webs, and the ribbons that wrapped around the little witch were special ribbons. They're telling her almost like a bedtime story because they need to make her not scared. It's so beautiful because you see, obviously you're like, hey, why are you doing this to your daughter? We find out why later. Um, But 
they're doing it for the greater good, but they don't want to scare her because they don't want to scare her off of certain things still. So um, they tell her to be calm and they tell her that, you know, they would protect her from witches who are really jealous of her powers, i.e. she's extremely powerful. We've seen this throughout the whole series so far and they need to do this for a very specific reason. And that when she grows up, she was go she will meet the shadow prince and as we all can kind of guess by now that shadow prince that we saw when she flew last episode um that she needed to help because she was one that could fly and the prince the shadow prince couldn't that matthew is that shadow prince that she was destined to meet so her parents are really devastated by this and they're sad to be binding her because witchcraft and um, magic is something they're very proud of. It's their identity um, and they don't want to take that from her. But her dad reminds the mother that if Diana really needs it, she will find it again. So it's almost like this, if a series of events like didn't occur, she would continue down, you know, getting 18 more tenure professorships and like writing 18 books and having more fabulous jackets. But as we all know with kind of how these books and all these narratives progress, that when you need something, that's kind of like the central core to a lot of tales like this, that there's something inside of us that we need and it sets us off on this journey. And that's this journey Diana's going through right now. We see it in Harry Potter. We see it in Lord of the Rings. We see this type of bravery that comes out that's always there and has always been meant to be there. But now you really have to find it for yourself through self-discovery. So beautiful scene. And then, then this is really... Um, the scene is so beautifully cut that we don't realize that this is um, the house actually showing them this flashback. We see the flashback because if you're kind of a savvy viewer, you know what's going on, but the house is projecting this to them. So that way Diana finally sees it. Um, and then so Knox that's comes. how magical that house is, right? Like, yeah. Because I thought we were doing just like a weird flashback and like, but the thing is, the house is like showing them. So it's like the house is projecting images in front of like Diana, Matthew, Sarah, and Emily so that they can see all of the information they were missing. Like, I, lo I, I mean, look, do I think I would be thrilled to be in a house that shows me all of my creepy past? Maybe not. Not without like a bajillion like bottles of wine, but like this, it's just such a beautiful like, oh, that's how fucking magical this house is. Exactly. And then we see the other part of the flashback is that Knox. Knox is there when she's really young, and this is why they were spellbinding her, um, because she's there to test her powers. Um, this happens after the binding ritual because they know how powerful she is, and Knox is like every white man that's like, I'm jealous of someone else that has more than me and is more than me and you know needs to come there and do something. But they bound they bound her so that way um they binded her, I'm sorry, and you know, Knox can't really understand her power levels and she, she's not quote unquote special. And so they really achieve their goal. And she's uh, an ordinary, less than extraordinary witch. Right. Or so they, they have worked very hard to convince Knox that she's a little bit less than extraordinary. Can I just say like, fuck you, Knox? So I finally figured out who he was in Game of Thrones and I was confused. He is the awful commander of- I was gonna say watch. like in the beginning episodes when you're like turned on by him, I was like, what? Well, we both know that I always okay, fall never mind. for awful men in black. We both know that. Um, mm -hmm. if, I, if I've got a type, it's awful men in uniform. So yeah, no, or he plays the- or, or clergy. Um, <laughs> so- he played the night commander in the night's watch the one that like tortures Jon snow like it kills just, him like, 
<laughs> I, well, no, Ollie kills Jon Snow, uh, which I, so I've been doing this huge rewatch project, like we talked about, of Game of Thrones. And when I saw him, I was like, Knox. And then I was like, oh, they're the same person. They're just awful. So, so yeah. Okay. So this whole thing, this whole princess with the ribbons and the shadow prince, this is all to protect her from Knox. So the house then shows this like scene where Diana's parents are saying goodbye to Diana, Sarah, and Emily. And like Emily goes up to Sarah and says, what is happening? Like, why are you running? And Rebecca's like, I, please don't ask me that. Like, which makes me think whatever what's happening is extremely dark, right? Like extremely bad. Um, but you can tell her parents are devastated to be leaving her behind, but they, they must feel like they need to go, right? And so Diana is, is so devastated seeing this like lost history, right? That she just kind of runs into the forest, which I'm like, yo, if there's demons, vampires, and witches all after you, maybe don't run into the forest by yourself. Just saying. I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying. Do, do your thing, Diana, but like not what I would do. Um, but she finds a tree with her mom's initials, which is super sweet. And then Matthew shows up looking super vamp sexy. He's dressed up in my favorite outfit for a man, all in black. And like, he tells her, you should at least find comfort in knowing that there's nothing wrong with you. Like, there was never anything wrong with you. Um, and she kind of admits, you know, it's weird. Like, clearly I, I was spellbound, but not the way most people are spellbound because, like, I got my powers back. I guess traditionally, if you were spellbound, you never got it back. Like, that was it. Whereas, she you know, broke. she broke it. She, well, I'm not even sure if she broke it. I think that the need became so great. And that was the caveat in the spell her parents did, right? It would only come back if and when she had an extreme need for magic. Um, but then Diana actually verbalizes what you and I have talked about for the entire season. She goes, so you were in my stories, AKA shadow prince. And that helps us, the viewer kind of start to process a couple things and we're about to get one more piece of information which i think helps um diana and matthew go beyond being some weird twilight type of drawn lovers because diana's parents clearly knew that matthew would play a very important role in her life more important her salvation and her liberation more importantly um we don't know how they knew that but we do know that like there is a much bigger narrative happening that you and I are just getting the, t like the tip of the iceberg. Um, yeah, we're just coming into it, but they're more than just lovers. Like her parents knew that they would need each other at some point, um, which I think is, is, is great. Um, so they're in a good place, but let's move on to a couple that is not in a good place. Yeah. Sarah is pissed. <laughs> And it's because, you know, Sarah, that's her sister. Um, so the way in which it worked is that um, Sarah's sister is um, Diana's mother. So Emily is her partner, longtime partner. So Sarah is really mad at Emily um, because it seems like they have a very honest and open relationship and she's been hiding something. So here we are again with that type of, you know, plot thread of like, you didn't tell me this. Like you knew this and you didn't tell me. So right. a lot of stuff is coming out. Um, so she can't believe that her spouse, Emily, kept it from her, the spellbinding. And maybe she just didn't want to tell her. I mean, that's, it says something maybe about her not wanting to break this type of um, 
idea of how Sarah has about her sister as well. I don't know, it's really deep. Um, and then she remits Rebecca knew them well enough to know who needed to figure things out. And, and I think it just goes to show that Emily maybe knew her sister, Sarah's sister, a little bit more than she did. Agreed, agreed. I would say, um, I don't know what this feels like, but... You don't know what it's like to be spellbound and have two lesbian no, aunts after your, which is I mean, your parents and you've been spellbound and you need to like break that curse. No, I know all of I that. <laughs> what I don't know is what it feels like to be tenured times three. But <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, so there's this thing that happened to me recently that this reminded me of. So my whole life, I thought that my first dog, Blackie, awful name for a dog, Blackie died of a snake bite, right? And I stupidly... Oh. Which is what I, I mean, Blackie passed away and it was on my farm in Colombia, And so I was told it was a snake. Um, recently, as an adult, like a full ass grown woman, I mentioned in front of my whole family how tough it was, you know, when Blackie died because, you know, she'd been bit by a snake. And my brother like chortled, like literally almost spit out his diaco. He goes, you still believe that? Mars. Uh, Blackie was poisoned by the neighbors. We told you the snake thing, or they told us the snake thing to make us feel better. What type of psychopathic... Oh, you lived in Florida. And Colombia. (laughs) And Colombia. Never mind. But, like, I felt so, like, betrayed by my whole family that clearly saw the obvious, and I did not. And it's one thing for at six for me to have been... Not even six, like nine... To have been like, oh my God, my dog died because of a bite. But like, I'm 33. And like, I looked at my family, like, remember when Blackie died because of a snake bite? And they're like, seriously? (laughs) I just felt betrayed. I felt like someone should have pulled me aside at some point and been like, hey, Mars, we said that to protect you. The neighbors fucking killed her. Uh, Which sounds really brutal, but Colombia is really fucked up. So, Uh, and I love Colombia, but it's just their, their stance on animal rights sucks. But yeah, so I think like with Emily and Sarah, it's this simultaneous, like, she's mad at Rebecca, but also, like, how do you not tell your partner what you know? Like, I, I'll be real honest. Like, I feel like if Brent kept a huge secret from me about someone that I loved, especially about someone that I love close to me that is hurting, I don't know. That is hard. That's yeah. hard. It is, it is hard. Um, and so I think, you know, we really start to see I just love these family narratives. I think there's there's just so much there and the acting's so good between all these people that we really have a lot to really digest. And they buried the lead here in the show with their aunts. I mean, the aunts are the best part of the books in my opinion. And um, and like how they interact and their story with Diana and like their role. Um, and so to have them, yeah, to have them only in the like really the last two episodes, it's like, ah, uh, like you really want more of them. You know, you really, really, really want more. Um, so we go back to our friend Satu, um, you know, because why not? And Satu is lording over Knox while he sleeps. Um, she should have just put a pillow over his face, but whatever. Um, and she accuses him of killing Diana's parents. Remember, Satu is kind of woke now to like, you know, <laughs> what's really going on. She's like, okay, she knows got the witch in the head, and th- got the witch's head in the box thing, set my sister free, but she told me some sh- and let me tell you, Knox, like, I see you. Um, and she is absolutely furious. She's mad. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, I, I, I think, like, again, nothing's worse than when you feel like you were left out in the dark and all of a sudden you figure shit out. 
Yeah, so she accuses just, him of having used the opening spell on them and having- This was extremely interesting. Like, yeah. I didn't pick up on this the first time I watched this episode. Rewatching it today, I was like, oh, okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah, like, I got you, I got you. And so, like, Knox is really furious at the implication that he missed something because he likes to be a know-it-all. He's a white guy, so, I mean, you know. Um, So he just, you know, is really mad that, like, Satu um, found out about this, and she tells him that he was spellbound. So she's like, hello, like, you thought Diana wasn't, like, some powerful witch, but guess what? You were fooled. Like, they got you, and, like, you're stupid. And so Knox realizes that Rebecca, you know, spellbounder and so he can't figure out why you know rebecca was on her way out and you know he hates on steven having misdirected rebecca here and so we just keep going back and forth between like there's another story here with between him and diana's parents however satu and him are having quite the conversation and she accuses him of having loved rebecca but loving the power more and that's like ding 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 well because like i guess like when he was she was like look i can tell that you did the same opening spell that i did which is why you knew to warn me that one it would destroy me and two that the power is what you want it's not even like that it's just a bad idea he goes you did it to her parents man and you fucked up because you weren't the power you were searching for was diana and you missed it right like it's just like crazy because like he says something to the extent of like he thought Rebecca was the one who would save the covenant, right? And like, and not the covenant, the congregation, and that she would come in and kind of be able to clean up the bullshit, maybe get rid of the vampires. So I think he was angry because he had rallied behind what he thought was a prophet. And then prophet falls in love with someone and is like, I don't particularly like your vision for the world, Knox, right? Like, that's kind of what it is. Exactly. And um, so then she started to realize, because she's the real powerful one. So, you know, Satu tells him that, like, she opened up Diana. She did an opening spell on her, and she's entirely drained um, because it, she's so powerful, it almost, it almost killed her, most likely. Um, so Nax tells her to rest and give it time and that her power is going to come back because, remember, Satu doesn't really know what it's like to be without power, so it's really frustrating for her. Um, and then Satu tells him of the prophecy from the witch's box head thing um, and about her suspicions that it is I'm about- I'm a witch in a box. Sorry. I'm a witch in a box. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for like three episodes. Okay, well, there you go, listeners. SNL, if you're listening, I think you got a new skit. Um, but Satu's the one really figuring out stuff because always leave it to a woman to figure out what a man can't. And well, Knox feels really inferior. So it was really great to kind of see her kind of trounce all over him and be like, uh, where have you been? Like, I just got here to this party and I already figured this out. I am kind of like going back to my like original Snape analogy. Do you remember? You talking yeah. about... Snape, yeah, I do. Lily, James, Saw, not Satu, Knox, Rebecca, and Stephen. Um, the accusation that Knox loved Rebecca, but he loved power more, is so Snape and Lily. <laughs> that but is did like, Snape love power more. So I think I think so. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because remember. To a certain extent, look, Snape did not know that when he handed over the prophecy, we're even talking prophecies, when he handed over the prophecy to Voldemort, that 
that Voldemort would interpret it as Lily. But fundamentally, Snape loved the idea of, of I'm going to air quotes, white supremacy, muggle, uh, or not muggle, wizard supremacy. He loved that idea more and the power of magic more. This is straight up Knox, right? He loved magic more and, and the, off, the like supremacy of witch magic much more than he loved Lily because inevitably he chose it, right? It's only when she yeah. dies that he's like, I chose the wrong fucking thing, right? Yep. Um, and I think what we're seeing with Knox here is, Sawtu says it, she's like, you loved Rebecca, but you loved the power more. And it cost you, it cost Rebecca, right? We still don't know the full extent of how Rebecca dies, but we know Knox is involved. So for me, anything that brings me back to my favorite, like Bronte-esque tragic trio of love that is my, my you know, Harry Potter trio. Like I Do love, you love Harry Potter. No, I barely read it. Okay. <laughs> so back to our, our creepy fun house, right? Um, Matthew... And the, this almost kind of felt like one of those like teen, uh, teen glow up movies, right? Matthew's like, she needs to learn defense spells. Sarah's like, she needs to learn control spells. You know, Emily is like, she needs to learn to curl her hair better. And like, they have kind of this montage of- more blue coats. Oh my God. She had a beautiful blue coat in this episode. It's, it becomes this like, this like montage of scenes where Diana's learning magic per se. So she, she's learning from Sarah how to control her powers and struggling. She's learning from Matthew how to uh, defend herself with her powers, right? Um, and so during this kind of montage of like her glow up into like a functioning witch, Matthew is talking to Emily in one of the scenes and he picks up this box and he goes, you know, if this wasn't in such good shape, I would swear that this box is from like the, like, I think he said 1700s, but it could have been 700. Right. And Emily yeah. kind of looks at him and laughs and he was like, oh, it is like Stephen was a time walker. Wow. And like, I thought first, okay, I'll be honest. I thought there needed to be a little bit more explanation here than like Matthew just figuring it out. Um, but then I love when Emily kind of says, yeah, yeah, he was. He, if he knew that a vampire who had lived through everything would be in this house someday, he might've been more careful with what he brought home. And so Matthew's kind of fascinated with the idea of someone who could walk through time perpetually. And, um, and so Emily says, you know, once they had Diana, they, he scaled it back, but he did used to take Diana's mom, Rebecca, um, out for her birthday you know, to work to like special times, not special places, special times, right? And um, and then she does say also that to do that, she, she he would need three specific pieces that were specific to that time, right? So like, if I wanted to go back to what's the time I would want to go back to? Um, uh, Elizabethan England. God, not really, but let's just say, um, I would need uh the Bolin necklace that pearl necklace right the guillotine which takes off Anne's head and a, a, a like mince pie and so that's enough to take me to the right time and so I thought that was interesting like giving us some idea of how that time warp time walker magic works but we're we're gonna get like a much better understanding of it coming up um, so let's take a quick detour to Venice, not to eating gelato, but close enough to seeing Domenico. So Domenico, my boo, runs into Juliet, and he continues to do what he's been doing in some other episodes, which is he just kind of taunts her. 
he's like, it's weird that you just stay behind these walls with Javert. Like, you really should leave. Like, you should go and find Matthew. You should go and he's he's egging her on. I think I can't figure out what his motives are overarchingly, but he wants her to go find Matthew, which is wanting her to go fuck shit up, right? Um, and like he does say something that was interesting it's been decades since she has seen Matthew um, and then he tells her to choose her freedom so again I because still her don't... father's been keeping her in weird bathtubs it's just we... this is a side story that makes no sense to me at all but I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot more information uh, because I don't understand why she can't leave I don't understand what the whole job air has on her I don't understand the relationship that she had with Matthew and I don't understand Dominic Dominic Dominico's incentive and kind of drive on on this Matthew Juliet thing so I'll leave it with that yeah I mean he definitely is like hey like I don't really want to get my hands dirty so why don't you go do it for right me? it's just I'm yeah I'm I'm not happy I kind of want a few more answers yeah, so we go back to Diana, um, and Diana's arguing with Sarah, and this is where we start to see her magic really start to come in, and because she suddenly disappears mid-argument, and they can't figure out where she went. She's like, I would love to have this skill, this bag, boop, bye. Yep. <laughs> um, but she appears in the barn, and she apparently has time jumped almost, or space jumped. We, they don't really know what it is, or what it isn't yet but they're trying to discover her abilities um so matthew realizes that she was gone and he runs to her and he asks her if she may have time walked like her father and she doesn't know how she did it because remember she hasn't been really introduced to a lot of this right. magic um and then he tells her about her father and you know he's kind of like hey your dad's a time walker so you know, you probably hey, have that too. Here's another thing your aunts forgot to tell you. <laughs> your dad and mom like had their date night like in 15th century Rome. John, where would you, okay. Perfect date in any moment in time that you could take your boo. Where would you go in time? Oh my God. I, I would, I would probably go somewhere and like, Fitzgerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald, like, Puri. Do you know what's funny? In my head, I was like, honestly, I would love to live out um, Midnight in Paris. <laughs> For real. <laughs> right? right. Like, no, I totally hear you. I totally hate Woody Allen, but, like, that film yeah. makes me feel joy. I'll tell you what, though. If it's not, if it's not 1920s, I would totally go to the most lavish, bouge, Marie Antoinette party at the height of her lunacy. Like, I would go to, like, one of her parties. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Dripping in diamonds. Dripping in diamonds. Dripping in diamonds. So we go to another scene real quick. We go back to Agatha, and she is talking to White Butler. And White Butler and her start having a conversation, kind of really getting back to the B, B subplot about what's like going on. This is C plot line. <laughs> yeah, C plot line with Sophie, who's a pregnant demon who wants to talk to Diana. And, you know, Agatha's son, Nathaniel, and Sophie um, are safe, but there are risks all of this for everyone because something's happening to Sophie that she needs to talk to Diana about. So Sophie thinks Diana is the savior of the demons and if cross-species um, families are possible, then everything they know will change. So meaning right. like they can interact with each other. They don't have to worry about each other. So like, you know, 
I, I don't know why she's talking to White Butler. Like, is he like, hey, okay, I don't understand this entire scene. So when Agatha walks into this scene, they're in what is clearly like a skyscraper of like Trump Industries, and like, or I'll do like Matthew Industries. And White Butler is at the top floor, and he's clearly the CEO of whatever White Butler's do. Like, I don't understand this scene. I don't understand it. I thought he was White Butler. Like, is he the CEO of Matthew's corporation? Like, I don't understand what's happening. Sorry. I don't know. We'll get more. And rant. And rant. (laughs) And rant. All right. So we transition to a scene inside a Catholic church, which is why I'm covering it. Um, They're Juliet and Jaber are attend like they walk into a mass halfway looking bomb as shit like Juliet is like in this deep crimson dress with like a crimson fur and they don't care that they're interrupting the homily they're like going to the front going to the front right and they sit right in front of Baldwin and then they have a conversation like church is not going on and I'm like I don't understand what's happening there are those think, people that like go to the movie theater and talk about the whole movie right except this is church and it's gonna echo but um so they kind of have this back and forth uh and job like over where diana is where matthew is and like jaber asked juliet to back him up on something and it's like finally everything that dominico said clicks and she's like yeah no stands up in her gorgeous crimson dress and walks back down the nave all the way out the church to her freedom and And a boat and, she gets on and shakes her hair free okay it is like such a glorious i i want to walk out of a church with that type of like gusto you it's great it. i'm gonna do it so let's go back to madison uh new york not wisconsin um wisconsin, Ma- wisconsin. matthew and diana are testing out ways to get her magic to pop up so they're trying to freak her out so that her powers come up right and so diana realizes that the one time she was like really scared around him when was in that first episode that i thought was super corny when he was like walk past me slowly don't (laughs) that's right i forgot about it and he has her blue sweater right with her blue sweater so she's like remember when you did that so she she walks by him slowly but then she starts running and matthew goes fully feral and like starts chasing her to actually hunt her And when she feels he's right next to her, she starts flying. (laughs) So it worked. They worked. It takes like a big jump. I thought it was like a big jump. Nah, dude. She's flying. (laughs) Because she lands very gracefully. And we do know that flying is a witch power, right? Um, So so the using fear to bring out her freedom is there. I have some fundamental issues about the idea that it is when a woman is in danger that she is able to kind of protect herself. Like, it sh- it, that's not what it should take. But, but regardless, like, that's a more complicated thing that will work out with the binding. Um, but this, like, sexy fear flying scene leads to a beautiful sex scene where Matthew opens up about his past relationships. And he does talk about how, like, he's, he has trauma from having harmed the woman that he's loved women i mean like dude's been around for like two thousand years um and it's interesting because like diana goes well i'm not worried about you harming me because a you're not going to b i'm not i'm powerful like i don't need to be afraid of you you need to be afraid of me and c you don't want to hurt me so you're just not gonna do it and i thought that was love it 
that was great because that was like going back to toxic masculinity she like reclaimed her dignity in that moment she's like no no no, no. see your narrative of like i hurt women is bullshit you're not gonna hurt me because i said you're not gonna hurt me and also because you don't want to hurt me and if the world tells you you're gonna hurt me that's bullshit because you're not and i love that she's like listen edward cullen listen listen, listen. beast from uh, Beauty, and, Beauty and the Beast. Listen here, man. You think your society has told you this, but that's not the truth. Like, I am a self-empowered female, and I'm the one that's terrifying, but, like, that's because I am powerful. Right. Um, Marcy, what song do you want to play during this scene? During the sex scene? <laughs> well, they play this great song. I couldn't figure out who it was. Um, but, like, honestly, this show is now, in my head, the show that does a really good mashup of indie music over sex scene. And, like, I, I'm just kind of, like, I've been paying attention. So that's when they use their, like, heavy-hitting music. And it, it's I great. love it. The music in this, in this show is amazing. I know. I will, um, for the next episode, I will find out who did this song because I couldn't figure it out. I love it. Okay, so um, we get to the vamp, Kiki. So Miriam what? and Marcus arrive in a taxi, and they are there to guard the house, and Diana and Matthew. They're like, he called in his bitches, and like, they're there to like, literally be like, no one's gonna touch this vamp, vamp witch, Kiki. Um, and so, and the really, it's kind of cute because Emily and Sarah, like, welcome them, and though Sarah, like, looks a little surprised, they don't, they don't say don't come in they're there for them they're a family you know many way right. many ways in which it's like similar to matthew's mother being like you're my daughter now like i've got you um so a collection of folks are showing up to help diana so it's kind of like how we discover and how communities formed when you're outside of like mainstream society so i really love how these ideas of like alternate coverings are happening but you know, Sarah's worried that everyone's coming together is super dangerous and that the congregation's gonna react, um, you know, because they're still very powerful. It's a small group going against like this main conglomerate that's there to keep things in order because order is how they handle the world. You know, they put people's in they put people in boxes instead of letting them operate outside of the boxes. Um, and the house goes nuts. And Diana tells um, Miriam and Marcus that the house does not like it when they argue because, I mean, what other house does? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so the house stops shaking and suddenly an envelope appears from the house. And it's the missing pages from the Book of Life from Ashmole 782 has arrived. And a woman in illuminated manuscript is wearing Matthew's insignia. So I have some, I have a theory. Okay. Uh, it's been a while since I put out a theory. So when this envelope arrives and Diana opens it and it's the missing page from Ashmall 67555, whatever it is. 4730. Uh, 4730 from the Book of Life, the missing pages that we knew were missing from when Diana was actually able to access the book. Um, she turns it over and there's an illuminated page um, that shows, it looks like something you would find in a book of hours. Um, so it looks religious in nature. And it's like a knight and a woman all in white. And there's a, like a insignia on her chest, right? Um, and they say, she, they say, oh, it, it looks like Matthew's insignia. I'm thinking that they're referring to the Lazarus group that we've heard referred to a couple times. Maybe. Maybe. So I'm going to tie this moment to the Lazarus. I keep wanting to say Lazarus Project, which is a horror film that I love but to the Brotherhood of Lazarus, whatever it is, um, 
that there we're bridging to that part of Matthew's life that we don't have a lot of information on, but Matthew is clearly tied to this page as well. It's not just Diana. The, as we're seeing, their lives are more and more intertwined than we originally think. Right. And we see that they're destined to be together. And I love how, like, stories that are, like, really horrible that you see, like, oh, we're destined John, to be together. John, do you think people are destined to be together? I definitely think that they, there are people that are destined to meet. I think this goes beyond, like, maybe romantic attraction, but I think there are people that are destined to know each other, have friendships with one another, like you and me, Marcy. Or, um, I love you so much. <laughs> marry me? I, boo, I've heard you snore. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Can but I say I, I agree with you? I think that, like, I don't think destined to be together I don't believe in destined to love each other 100% I think and there's I think, people yeah. when you see them that you're like my god like like the stars align these people and their connection to each other are just that doesn't mean they'll be in each other's lives forever or that they'll be together or anything like that right but like I knew from the day I met you John this is my my friend for life like yeah. like ride or die fight no fight like I will, I will love you from the day I met you to the day we go on a Golden Girls cruise. Exactly. And <laughs> I, I think that, you know, people are meant to be together and then there are people that aren't meant to be together. But, um, but I really think that you have these ways in which we're drawn to each other and that's through personal experience, social, yeah. religious, metaphysical, whatever. But I think that you always have to like, mathematics you know you have to trust that gut feeling and be like wow like that's it right and accept that like there are seasons for everything but some of that's really beautiful so exactly so as with any good scientist um we see that you know people miriam wants to get this um manuscript back to the lab and test it and sarah's sarah takes it instead she's like uh i don't think so there's a bit of a power struggle there um which I but think for good reason, right? For for multiple reasons, you've got vampire witch, but you've also got science and kind of like the the spiritual, and they they clearly both approach their research and their lives very differently. But I was like, oh, they're flexing some muscle here. Mm -hmm. So so guess where we're gonna take a trip to real quick? Mm, I don't know. My boo, Domenico. <laughs> So Domenico is angrily walking alone, which is so unexplainable if you look at him around Venice. And he he's runs. He's always alone. He's always alone. I'm like, babe, me, like me. So he's walking alone as usual, no gelato, and like he runs into Satu, and um, and he realizes very quickly Satu has been left powerless because like she's like trying to pull up some magic in her hands, and he's like, yeah, stop it, like. And, um, trying to pull a rabbit out of her hat and she's like definitely not happening she has no rabbit <laughs> so he takes her with him she's powerless to stop it um and we figure out that like i'm gonna actually switch a little bit of the order that this actually goes in because we'll end a bit on diana but like um baldwin and dominico meet up after he's taken Satu and put her somewhere and dominico uh, wants to know if they should call in the congregation he found Sawtu. And Baldwin's like, why don't you get rid of me, man? Like, she trespassed on my land. Like, and, like, Domenico realizes that Baldwin maybe is not playing for his team, right? So the congregation. I think it's the, his first sign of, like, yo, I think something's up. Because, like, uh, 
yeah, like, this is not right. Like, he should want to take Satu straight to the congregation. Um, and he goes, you know what? No, I'm going to keep her. And to a certain extent says, I'm going to keep her until I need her as a bargaining chip. But he kind of leaves Baldwin dry. And Baldwin misses an opportunity to get Satu. I don't even know what, what it would be. To get Satu to Diana or to just interrogate her, period. I think everyone is starting to realize Satu is important. Um, do, other than Domenico. Domenico's literally only, only holding on to her because she's a bargaining chip. Exactly. Um, and the, the interesting thing is this entire episode ends with another scene of Diana and Matthew training. So she is closing her eyes and trying to use her powers to figure out where he is, right? So I don't know, using whale echolocation, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. But as she's playing this game, she reaches her hands out thinking she's found Matthew. And who has she found, John? Juliet. Bum, bum, End bum. of episode. End scene. <laughs> End scene. And that's like the penultimate episode before the season finale. So you're kind of like, damn. This is a very good episode. It's a very good episode. I love the episode that comes next. Um, these last episodes are just so strong and they're pointing us towards season two. Um, yeah. The episodes all pick up. Like, I think it was like episode four that we like, okay. Four now we really up. loved too. Yeah. yeah. And they get stronger and stronger and stronger. And that shows of like the excellent writing of the show because it's not all the time where shows necessarily have quality writing throughout the whole thing but they pick up steam and I think that just shows that there's a lot of material here for them to work with yep so John like we said next week is our last episode of season two I season cannot two believe it of the pop culture theologian season one of a discovery of witches um so I'm really excited because you know what comes after season two what season person? three season three <laughs> season three uh i'm very excited we john and i have officially picked our show for season three which we will share with you all next week um but we're so excited we're so so excited and obviously our plan is always to revisit the shows that we've done so we will be covering season two of the purge we will be covering season two of, of discovery of witches we are loyal to the shows that we have picked up along the way um so we know that and we are thankful that the shows do not air at the same time we are we've been really really lucky um to, to be honest our first show that we covered as pop culture theologians was actually on the engaged gays blog which was westworld if you haven't read through our coverage of seasons one and two on there um but yeah we haven't had our shows kind of run into each other and we're not particularly worried about this next show because it's not going to run into anything else either so you know yeah. And I will say that, you know, when we did The Purge originally, it was just supposed to be a one-off. It was, and the show was so strong that um, it got picked up for a second, and we were super, super excited. Exactly. I just need to give a quick shout-out to my friend Jennifer, one of our big fans, um, Jen Unimpressed, as I call her, who literally listens to the podcast and then sends me her top 10 notes about the episode, as well as things that she thinks as well. So I'm giving her a shout-out at the end of the episode. Jennifer, why are we not friends? <laughs> Y'all, I will, I will suggest a friend on Facebook so Thank that way you. you can add each other. I too am extremely unimpressed with most things in life. So, all and right, y'all. You live in Florida. <laughs> and that's the episode. <laughs> End scene. All right, y'all. We'll see you guys next week. Toodles. Toodles.